Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2013 Anaheim Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise God. Let's turn over to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. How many of you love Jesus tonight? Man, are you thankful for what He's done in your life? Praise God. Let me ask you this. How many of you want to please God more than anything else? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I just want to see. That's not everybody. All right, here's another question, and I want you to think about this. How many of you really please God? You know, there's a lot less hands. There's like only half as many. You know, this poses a major problem because if this is a real desire of yours is to please God, and yet like half of the people who raise their hands don't feel like they really please God, this is just a recipe for disaster. This is condemnation, discouragement, uh, hatred of yourself, all kinds of things. Because here's your number one goal is to please God, and yet many, many people don't feel like they do please God. So I want to try and help reconcile this and change the way that you think here tonight. Here in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, I'm going to break right into the middle of some things, but this is the chapter about faith. It talks about all of these great people of faith and what they did. And in Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's amazing. He had this testimony. You know what that means? He went around telling people, I please God. You realize how rare that is? You know, I taught on this 30-something years ago in a church, and I had a woman make me a sweater that says, I please God. <laughs> and on the back, it had Hebrews eleven six. But I wore this sweatshirt as a witnessing tool, and you know what? It wasn't well received. <laughs> Everywhere I went, I got criticism, and people were angry at me, like, who do you think you are? What are you saying about yourself? that you please God. I can just imagine Enoch walking around with his I please God t-shirt on (laughs) and the reactions he must have got. But this was his testimony. He went up to everybody and he says, I please God. Did you know that in the uh, secular world, people don't receive that very well, but the worst response comes from Christians. If you were to wear a t-shirt that says, I please God on it, I guarantee you religious people would jump on you like a chicken on a June bug. (laughs) They would be down your throat immediately. Who do you think you are? Don't you realize that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God? There's none righteous, no, not one. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags. And this is the way that religion has presented it, and this is the mindset that they've placed in people. But it says, 
uh, Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. And for those of you that aren't familiar with this, this is over in Genesis chapter 5, verses 20 through 24. And it talks about how that Enoch was the father of Methuselah. Methuselah is the oldest person that ever lived, 969 years. And then after he begat Methuselah, he lived 70 or I forget exactly what the figures are, 300 and something years. And it says that Enoch was not, he walked with God and he was not for God took him. Enoch never died. He was just walking with God and he was so close to God that one day as he was walking with God, the Lord spoke to him and says, Enoch, you're closer to my home than you are yours. Just come with me, amen. He was so close to God that God just took him and he didn't die. He was translated. He's one of only two people in the Bible, the other one being Elijah, that was caught up into heaven and never died. Man, this is a great man of God. And it talks about him. And then it says in verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So faith is what pleases God. And did you know what? Those of you who raised your hand and said your great desire is to please God. And then when I said, how many of you please God? And you didn't put your hand up. I can guarantee you what you were thinking. You've done something that you knew wasn't right. And it can be overt. It could be outward. You could have sinned and done something, you know, against all of the standards, or it could be something that you failed to do. Maybe you haven't studied the word and prayed and loved your mate the way that you should. And you know, you, you should be tithing it, but you aren't or something. And most people believe that God loves you based on your performance. And those of you who were not able to raise your hand on that second question, I can guarantee you it's because you have a performance-based relationship with God. And because your performance isn't perfect, you aren't absolutely sure that God is pleased with you. But this verse and the scriptures teach that it's faith that pleases God. It is not your holiness. It is not your goodness. God loves you because he is love, not because you are lovely. And God sent Jesus to deal with our sins. And Jesus dealt with our sins. And Jesus paid for all of your sins. I'm going to say some things right here that I wish I had more time to explain. But if I tried to explain it, it would take all night long. And I've got other things I want to say. So you'll have to get the materials and read it and study up on it. But it's absolutely true. And that is that Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He is the propitiation, that means the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus did not just die for the Christians who He knew would accept Him. But He has died for the people who will never accept Him. And He has already paid for their sins. The sins of the world have been paid for. That's what it says. 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, not just for Christians, but also for the whole world. The Lord has paid for the sins of the whole world. Here's a newsflash. But people aren't going to hell for their sins. Their sins have been paid for. People go to hell for rejecting the payment that was made for their sins, which is the Lord Jesus. 
Jesus has paid for the sins of every single person. And now it comes down to you. It's not based on whether you're a good person or a bad person and how holy you live. Because it says in Romans 3, 23, that all have come short, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every person has missed heaven. You know, it's like if I came in here with a machine gun and I said, I'm going to shoot any person that can't jump and touch the ceiling. Did you know some of you could get higher than others? We could have Michael Jordan in here and he might be able to jump and maybe touch one of those uh, light things. I don't know, but nobody can jump and touch the ceiling. If that was the requirement, we're all going to die. And you know what? Some of us live a little better than others. Some of us haven't done things that others have done, but compared to God's standard of holiness, all have sinned and come short of that. And I don't care if you are the best sinner in this place, who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? If you are trusting your own goodness and your own holiness, you will go to hell. Your sins were paid for by Jesus and you can't come before God based on your goodness and claim that God, I deserve it because I've lived holy. I don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. I am a holy, holy person. You would be sent directly to hell. But Jesus paid for the sins of everybody, everybody, all of your sins. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you're the sorriest person in this room. Jesus has paid for your sins the same as he's paid for any person's sins in here. So it is not sin that is the problem. Jesus ended the sin problem. He's paid for the sins of the whole world. It's all about Jesus. It's all about, have you put faith in Jesus? Some of you are looking at me like, I've never heard this. Well, that's obvious. Look at this in John chapter 16. Let me just read a passage to you out of John chapter 16. Jesus was speaking to his disciples the night before his crucifixion. This is some of his very last instructions. And he said in John chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you. That means it's better for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, will not come unto you. And the comforter here is talking about the Holy Spirit. That work terminology was used interchangeably like John 14, 26. It makes it very clear. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. And so if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So this is talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In verse eight, it says, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This is the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Boy, it is amazing how religion has twisted this to make this condemning when it's the exact opposite of this. And the Lord knew that this would be misinterpreted or it could be misinterpreted. So he goes on and explains exactly what he's talking about. In the next verse, in verse nine, it says of sin... Notice it says sin, singular, not sins, plural. The Holy Spirit is not the one saying, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do this. Man, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. (laughs) Some of you are thinking, man, the Holy Spirit tells me all the time I shouldn't be doing this stuff. No, that's religion. 
It's your own conscience. It's this intuitive knowledge of right and wrong and religion amplifies it and makes it bad. And it's your own conscience that's condemning you. The Holy Spirit is not the one who is condemning you. I've heard people in churches before get up and say things like, man, I did this wrong and the Holy Spirit just made me miserable. He wouldn't give me any rest. I was miserable. And so they'd stand up and then repent and tell what they've done. And they blame the Holy Spirit for this feeling of anger and condemnation and all of these kind of things. And they think it's the Holy Spirit doing that. That's not what this says. It says that he will reprove the world of sin, singular, one sin. Here's one sin that the Holy Spirit reproves people of, and that's the sin of not believing on Jesus. That's what it all comes down to. It's not all of these individual things. Let me give a little PS for those of you that are about to just throw this out because this can't be true. The Holy Spirit will show you that you shouldn't go over here and hurt this person. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't steal. He will show you these things, not because God bases his acceptance or rejection of you based on your performance, but Satan uses your actions as an inroad into your life. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death are of obedience unto righteousness. If you yield to Satan or to sin, then you yield yourself to Satan, the author of that sin, and he only comes. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes only but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Satan will eat your lunch and pop the bag. And so you do not want to give your life over to the devil. Not because God's going to reject you if you do. He's already forgiven your sins. You know, I'm saying things tonight that I, I wished I wasn't going this direction. Because I hadn't got time to explain it. But I know some of you. Man, if this is the first time you're hearing me, you think heresy. But God has forgiven all of your sins, past, present, and even future sins. Sins that you haven't even committed yet. God has forgiven your sins. It's not God that's going to reject you, but if you go out and live in sin, you just throw the door open to the devil and he is going to come in and he's going to steal, kill, and to destroy. And so the Lord will show you, don't do this, but not for the purpose of, I won't bless you if you don't do this. I, don't, I won't love you if you don't do this. The truth is God loves you not based on your performance. He loves you based only upon whether or not you have made Jesus Christ your Lord. If Jesus is your Lord and if you've been born again, then God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make him love you more and you can't make him love you less by your performance. But your performance will make you love him more or it will make you love him less. See, some people will take that first statement about that there's nothing you can do to make him love you more or less and they just run wild. Well, man, I don't have to do anything now. So they never read the word. They never go to church. They never pay their tithes. They never do anything because God loves me because of Jesus. And that's absolutely true. But you won't love God as much if you don't study the word, if you don't go to church, 
If you don't do these things, it doesn't change God's heart towards you, but it will change your heart towards God. So yes, we should still live holy. Yes, we should study the word. Yes, we should go to church. But did you know if you never went to church another time in your life, God's love for you wouldn't fluctuate. He doesn't love you based on your church attendance. If you never go to church, God's going to love you exactly the same, but you won't love God the same because you won't be around believers that edify you. You won't be sitting and listening to the word. You will struggle. If you don't go to church, you're stupid. You're just stupid. But God loves you, stupid, is what I'm trying to say. God loves you in spite of your actions, but... The scripture says we should exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest we be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. God loves you independent of your church attendance, but your church attendance and your fellowship with believers and your study of the word and your prayer and other things, it changes your heart towards God. It does not change God's heart towards you. God loves you. And he paid for all of your sins, past, present, and even sins that you haven't committed yet. And the only issue, the only sin that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of is the sin of not believing on Jesus. That's it. If you have believed on Jesus, then it says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 that we have been made accepted in the Beloved. God accepts you on the basis of what Jesus did for you. And when you make Jesus your Lord, you become a new person in Christ. And it says in John chapter 4 verse 24 that God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. God is looking at you in the spirit. And the only way you can have relationship with God is based on who you are in the spirit when you get born again. If you approach God on the basis of your actions, if you come and say, oh God, I've fasted, I've prayed, I've been holy, now will you move in my life? You aren't in the spirit. You are in the flesh. And those that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. In Galatians chapter 5, It talks about that the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to the other and you can't do the things that you would. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot please God based on your physical actions. And again, those of you who couldn't raise your hand to that question and say that you really believe that you please God, it's because you are aware that your actions and your thoughts are not perfect. And so you thought, therefore, that God's not pleased with you. God doesn't relate to you, to your flesh, to your actions. He relates to your born again spirit. And when you get born again in the spirit, you are as righteous and pure and holy as Jesus is because it's his spirit that's sent into your heart. Crying, Abba, Father, Galatians chapter four, verse four, I believe. God's spirit lives on the inside of you and God is a spirit and God sees you in the spirit. And if you have made Jesus your Lord, if you have put faith in him, then you know what? God's pleased with you. And there are some of you that have never felt God's pleasure. You know, I don't have the words to say this the way I'd like to. But there are some of you that 
you believe God exists, you love Him, you've accepted salvation, you believe if you were to die, you would go to heaven. But you aren't enjoying His pleasure. You sing about when we all get to heaven, what a day that will be, and you long for heaven. But in the rough now and now, you just struggle along and you feel like you continually don't please God because you know that you aren't acting and thinking the way that you should. And you have never let God love you. You have never let God's pleasure flow through you. Man, I, there's been times in my life, and I'm not perfect at this. I still struggle with this same thing because, you know, in the natural world, everything is geared towards your performance. People outside of the body of Christ, they aren't going to base their relationship with you on who you are in the Spirit. They don't even know who you are in the Spirit. They don't know anything about the Spirit. It's all just based on your physical actions. You know, you could receive what I'm saying and go out of here and just speed down the highway rejoicing in the fact that God loves you and the policeman pulls you over and you tell him, hey, officer, my sins are forgiven. And God sees me in the spirit. It doesn't matter. That officer is going to deal with you based on your physical performance. So in the natural realm, everything is about how you act and you've got to perform right. You've got to do a good job or you won't get an increase and a raise and a promotion. And, and even in marriage and stuff, our relationships are all based on performance. There is nobody who deals with you this way except God. And because of this, most people have never renewed their mind and they just don't understand that God is pleased with them because they've accepted Jesus. And if you are born again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. In your spirit, you're totally brand new. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, speaking of Jesus, so are we in this world. It didn't say, so are we going to be in the next world. That's what religion is preaching. Get saved, and now you're just saved and stuck. You're nothing but an old sinner saved by grace. That's not true. I was an old sinner but I got saved by grace and I became a new creature. And in my spirit, I am right now as he is in this world. In my spirit, I am a brand new person and God is a spirit and God relates to me spirit to spirit. He's aware of my flesh. He's aware of my performance. And if I'm messing up, he'll tell me something about the devil's going to get you if you keep doing this. <laughs> Quit doing that. He'll tell me things, but it's not based on our relationship. He relates to me based on who I am in Christ. And because of that, man, I can feel the pleasure of God. You know, again, I could share some of my experiences with people that don't know the Lord and they might just think I'm crazy and let it go. But I share it with religious people and they get mad. They get angry. Because basically religion teaches that, you know, we sing these songs, I'm just a poor wayfaring pilgrim of trudging through the world below. And we sing about all these terrible things and and all this stuff. And that's all about your physical, natural self and your mental, emotional part. But in the spirit, you are a brand new person. And God 
loves you. God is pleased with you. You are His workmanship. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, You're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Most people look at that and think, well, we are becoming his workmanship. He's working on us. And now we're getting to where we're better and holier. And they talk again about their physical actions and how that they're living holy than they used to. And they don't think the same rotten thoughts. That's not what this is talking about. It's in your spirit. Your spirit is his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And it is right now righteous and holy and pure. If you're, you know, I go into churches all the time and they say, oh God, make me righteous. And I say, you ought to get born again. <laughs> because it says in Ephesians 4, 24, put on the new man, which after Christ is created in righteousness and true holiness. You're created righteous. You don't grow into righteousness. You don't become righteous. You aren't striving to be righteous. If you've been born again in your spirit, you are righteous. You're holy and you're pure. You were created in righteousness and true holiness. And if you come before God as a Christian and say, oh God, I'm just so unrighteous. Please make me righteous. It's like slapping Jesus in the face. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, He, Jesus, is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. If you say all of my righteousness is like filthy rags. See, that's a quotation from Isaiah. I think it's chapter 64, verse 6, somewhere around there. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And this is a scripture that most Christians know and they quote it and they talk about all of their righteousness is like filthy rags. If you're talking about my flesh, my physical actions in comparison to God's holiness and perfection, that's true. But if you are saying all of your righteousness is like filthy rags, you're calling Jesus a filthy rag. Because he was made unto me wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Isaiah said that in the Old Testament and it was appropriate for Isaiah because he wasn't born again. He didn't have a part of him that had been recreated in righteousness and true holiness. But you and I have been born again and God is a spirit and he's seeing you in the spirit and God sees you in the spirit perfect. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17... It says, um, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. The Greek word for one is hes, H-E-I-S. And it means a singular one to the exclusion of another. In other words, it's not like God is up here and I'm down here, but we're parallel. I've got a little bit of God in me. In my spirit, my spirit is now united with him. It's one with him. It is ounce for ounce, molecule for molecule, identical to Jesus. And some of you are thought, I can't believe you're saying this about yourself. And you're thinking, you know, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse five, without me, you can do nothing. I agree. Without him, I can do nothing, but I'm not without him. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. I've been born again and in my spirit, I'm a brand new person. And because of this, I can sit back and say, Father, you love me. Not just my old flesh, not my wrong thinking and the way I look and act and 
all this stuff. But God, in my spirit, I can worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, I've already quoted that verse, but John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, not should worship him. This is the best way to worship him. You get better results if you do it this way. No, you have to worship him in spirit and in truth and in your spirit. You are a new person. You are perfect as he is. So are you in this world. You are identical with him. You are one spirit with him. And because of this, when God looks at you, if you have made Jesus Christ your Lord, if you aren't trusting in your outward actions and your thoughts and your own holiness, but instead you are trusting in Jesus and you've made him your savior, then you are a new creation. You're perfect, you're pure, you're holy. And when God looks at you, he sees you and loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Because it is his son, Jesus, who's living on the inside of you. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, the last part of that verse says, If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you're sitting there saying, well, I can't believe this. Well, then you aren't one of his. If you are one of his, you have the spirit of Christ. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you need to be born again. But if you have the spirit of Christ, you are a brand new creature. And because of this, God loves you and God is pleased with you. You are accepted in the beloved. Did you know I quoted that verse again, Ephesians chapter one, verse six, that we have been made accepted in the beloved. The Greek word that was used there for accepted is only used twice in the New Testament. And the other time is in Luke chapter one, where Mary... Uh, had the angel come unto her, Gabriel, and say, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. The only other time that word was used is when Gabriel said, You are highly favored. So accepted was also translated highly favored. You are highly favored by God. Man, God loves you. You know, this is hard for us to wrap our brains around because again... We relate to each other in the flesh based on actions. When you look pretty, you know, we love the people that are beautiful and the people that have it all together and we want to be friends with them and we like the people who treat us right and the people who act right and it's all based on these uh, external things. You know, I have some people travel with me and present uh, a missions program to Nicaragua and stuff and these people are from Charlotte, North Carolina and they just dress They don't dress like everybody else. They don't talk like everybody else. And I've actually had some of my staff, the very first time they got up, thought, what has Andrew done? Because he allows these people to come up. And I've I've had my own staff come to me and repent and say, you know, I'm so sorry. I judge them based on the outside. But boy, once you get to know this couple, they are one of the greatest couples. They love God. They love people. But see, we judge based on the outside. We, base, we judge people based on the color of their skin or their nationality or whether they're male or female and we relate to them. The Bible says in Ephesians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. I'm going to have to read that because I can't quote the whole thing exactly. This is right before the verse I've been using, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. But verse 16 says, 
Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. And then verse 17 says, because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. Paul is saying that he had to change the way he related to people. He used to relate to people based on their actions, based on their external person. But now he doesn't know people that way anymore. He quit relating to people flesh to flesh, external to external, color to color, clothes to clothes and things like this. And he started basing it on a person's heart. He started knowing people heart to heart. And he says the reason for this is because if you're in Christ, you're a brand new person. You are completely new. And the problem is that most of us still only know ourselves and know other people based on this external thing. We think God is looking on the flesh. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord told Samuel, he says, don't look on his outward appearance or the height of his stature because man doesn't see the way God sees, or God doesn't see the way man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God sees you in the spirit. He's not looking at your actions. He's not looking at all of the things that are wrong with you. You know, when God created the heavens and the earth, he said, let there be light and there was light. And God had to divide and separate the light from the darkness. That's lost on most of us. Because, you know, the moment you turn on a light, the darkness is gone. We don't understand this, but apparently when God first created light, there was light and darkness together and he separated them. He divided them. He created the laws. You know, you could be in this room right now and it could, you could have all the lights out, but the moment you turn on a light, the darkness is gone. It may not be totally bright. You could make it brighter, but it's not dark anymore. But originally there was light and darkness together and he had to separate them. But before he separated them, it says God saw the light, that it was good. God focused on what he created, not on the absence of light. And it's the same thing in us. When God created us, we became a new creature in Christ Jesus and God looks on the light. God looks at your born again spirit. God looks at the good part of you. God is not dealing with you based on your external person and your thoughts and your actions. God is dealing with you based on who you are in the spirit. And because of that, he's pleased with you if you've made Jesus Christ your Lord. That's the only sin. That's the only thing that the Holy Spirit's dealing with is just, have you made Jesus your Lord? And if you've done that, well then God, you have to worship him in spirit and in truth. You have to come before him based on what he's done in your spirit. And God is pleased. He's excited to see you. Do you know what? It makes God's heart. I don't know the right way to say it, but God in his heart is blessed by you. And yet most of us have never seen that we bless the Lord. You know, we'll use this terminology and I hear people all of the time and they'll just go, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. That may or may not bless the Lord. (laughs) Just saying bless the Lord doesn't bless the Lord. You know, that means to bless the Lord means that you love him and God gets blessed. God is Happy, fortunate, to be envied is what the word blessed means in uh, Matthew chapter 5. You can read that in the translations. 
God loves it when we love him. You know, there was a time I took my kids, long story, I'm trying to make this short, but I took both my boys when three and five and took them and a friend down. We rode horses all day and ate junk food and played in the creek and dammed up a creek and made a swing across it and got dirty and filthy and did all this stuff that if Jamie was with us, she wouldn't have liked. And we just had a big time and we just, we played and we did stuff all day long. And anyway, we got home, uh, had a bath, cleaned them up, had our devotions, prayed with them. And as I was leaving Peter's room, he was three or four years old. He goes, dad. And I go, yes. And he says, you're a good dad. You know what that did? It blessed me. It blessed me. He didn't go, bless you, dad. He just said, dad, you're a good dad. And you know what? It blessed me. I got blessed. When the Bible says, bless the Lord, you don't just repeat the words and say, bless the Lord. But no, you say, you're a good God. Father, I love you. Thank you for loving me. And you know what that does? That blesses God. And it makes his heart go pitter patter. And some of you think this is blasphemy to think that God would deal with me that way. I tell you, it's blasphemy the other direction towards Jesus. If you don't understand that it's faith that pleases God, not performance. It's not your actions. It's not your goodness. It's not your self-righteousness that pleases God. We are accepted in the beloved based on what Jesus did. And if you could understand that, you could experience a love relationship with God that most people today don't experience. Most people won't let God love them. It says in Psalms chapter 35, verse 27, let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. You have to let God be magnified. You have to let him love you. And most of us won't let him. We feel unworthy and we will not accept it. You know, there was an instance I used, I came out of the Baptist church and uh, when I first got touched by the Lord, uh, what I was saying, these things that I was saying uh, were radical and it got me into a lot, a lot of trouble. And anyway, I used to have to drive uh, an hour and a half to go to this church. And on Sundays, I'd go over on Sunday morning and stay for the Sunday night service. And so rather than drive all the way back home and all the way back, I'd stay over there with people. And so there was this one couple that I stayed with sometimes and they had a daughter who did not love God, didn't love her parents. She hated Christians, hated God, and she hated me, I think more than she hated God. And she just did not like me. But anyway, I was over at their house and I got sleepy in the afternoon. They said, go up to our daughter's room and and take a nap. And she was gone because I was over there. She didn't want to come around. So anyway, I was in her room and I was taking a nap and I was sound asleep and I heard the door open and I don't know, I just immediately woke up. I was totally wide awake, but I was still laying still. And I thought to myself, I thought, this is this girl. She must have had to come back into her room and get something. I knew she didn't want to see me and I didn't really want to see her. So I just laid there and played possum. I acted like I was asleep and I heard... This person come in, walk all around and they walked around and opened up a door and opened up a drawer and did some things. And I was just sitting there uh, acting like I was asleep. And then they walked over and stood next to the bed. And I thought, what is she doing? 
but I kept my eyes closed. And then she sat down on the bed. I could feel the weight and put her arm across me. I could feel her shift her weight on the bed and kissed me right on the lips. And when that happened, I opened my eyes. And nobody was there. There was nobody in that room. And man, I thought, what is this? And I felt like the Lord says, it's me. I love you. And immediately, immediately I said, that couldn't be God. If God was to come in here, he would, you know, I'd have expected him to slap me or punch me or why aren't you reading the Bible? You're taking a nap during the day. And why aren't you praying in tongues and doing something? And you know what? If God would have come in and rebuked me, I could have accepted that. But to think that God loved me enough to come in and kiss me. Did you know I didn't tell anybody that for over 10 years because I would have been severely criticized. God doesn't do stuff like that. And yet the Lord spoke to me and he says, if I loved you enough to die for you, don't you think I loved you enough to kiss you? And my old religion wouldn't let me believe that God really loves me that way. Brothers and sisters, we limit what God can do in our life. If you think that that's somehow or another sacrilegious or, or self-promoting or pride, and, and if you think that what I've just related is bad, then you know what? God won't do it to you because He doesn't want to offend you. It's just like I go to, we travel all over the world. And did you know everybody has different customs? You go into um, France and everybody kisses each other on both cheeks. You kiss them both on both cheeks and stuff. You do that here and somebody's going to slap you. You know what? People act differently in California than they act in Louisiana. Things that are accepted here, you're going to get in trouble if you do that in Louisiana. People have different things. You know, some people like to stand this close to another person and you can't even focus on them because they're just right there in your face. Other people are too far away and you want to get, and you know what? Whether you realize it or not, you have all kinds of standards of what's acceptable. And I've just learned that, you know what? I can't go in and impose my standard on you. And if I'm in France, I don't get offended if people come up and kiss me on both cheeks. If I'm in another place, you know, and they all hug and there's some places you go, if you hug a person, that's offensive. I had a guy from Chicago one time that went and hugged this uh, Southern Belle and just, you know, was real friendly with her. And she got offended and came to me and said, this guy's coming on to me. And, and she was 20 something years older than him. And I went to the guy and he laughed. He says, man. I'm not coming on to her. I was just trying to be friendly. That's the way that they are in Chicago. But you know what? In Louisiana, these Southern Bells, you don't do stuff like that. Anyway, what I'm saying is you have to learn what's acceptable to a person. And it doesn't matter what your standards are. If you go in and just, you know, if you're a touchy-feely person and you put your hands all over somebody and if another person doesn't like that, you can offend them. God is like that. God will not force himself upon you. And if you are offended and if you think that you're so ungodly that God's got you at arm's length, he pitied you enough to forgive you. And when you die and go to heaven, maybe he'll show love and affection towards you. But right here on this earth, you're the scum of the earth. 
and you just barely made it into heaven and you aren't going to have a mansion in heaven. You're going to have a little cabin over in the corner of glory land and you're just barely going to get in. And if you think yourself unworthy and that you can't have an intimate relationship with God, then God won't have an intimate relationship with you because he won't offend you and he won't force things on you. You have to let God be magnified. You have to let God love you. And most of us won't do it because we look in the mirror and we see our flesh and you search your mind and emotions and you know your wrong thoughts and your wrong feelings and you relate to yourself. You only see yourself outwardly and you think God sees the way that you see. You think God is upset with you. But I'm telling you, God is pleased with you if you made Jesus your Lord. You are accepted in the beloved. It's faith that pleases God, not your performance. And the truth is, God is passionate about you. God wants to spend time with you. God would love to just flow His joy and His peace and His love through you so that it would overwhelm you. And many of you won't let Him do it because you don't feel worthy. Because you're in the flesh. You're approaching God in yourself instead of who you are in Christ. And you limit what God can do in your life. And I tell you, if you were to ever understand this one point, just begin to start relating to God and, and letting the love of God flow. Letting Him love you. The Bible says, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, that faith works by love. If you ever access this love of God, man, faith would just flow through you supernaturally. Things that you struggle with now, trying to believe God, it wouldn't become hard at all. It would just make everything so easy. You know, I meet Christians all the time that are going around, I confess with my mouth, believe in my heart that God's going to do this and God's going to do this and God's going to get me this house and God's going to promote me and I'm going to do this. And, and you just, I confess it. And what we're doing with our confession is making God do something. You've never seen a little kid going around in their father's arms and say, I confess with my mouth that my, my dad's going to feed me today that he's going to get me a bicycle when I'm three years old. And I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart. And Kids don't make their parents do things. They just rest. They just enjoy it because they know that their parents love them and they just enjoy it and they don't have to make it happen. You would find out that the Christian life would become so easy if you would just understand that I'm a new creature. God's a spirit. He sees me in the spirit and he loves me. I am his workmanship. I'm identical with him as he is. So am I. I'm created in righteousness and true holiness. Thank you, Father, that you love me, not because of me, but in spite of me. And if you just let this love flow, you would find out the things that you're trying to manipulate and maneuver and make God do. They would just happen automatically because he loves you and he wants to bestow his good upon you. I used to spend so much time begging God for things and I don't do it anymore. You know, this building that we're building, it, the whole complex, when we get all finished, is going to be $53 million and I'm paying for it debt free. And the first step is $32 million and I'm only $7 million away. I'm over 70% of the way there. It's awesome. And did you know I have never asked God to help me and give me any money? I haven't prayed yet 
for any money. And I've already raised over 25 million, above our 2 million a month that we have to have to pay my employees and to keep our bills paid. And I hadn't paid, I hadn't asked God for anything yet. I don't ever spend any time asking him. I just, I resent using my prayer time to ask God to give me stuff. That's not what prayer's for. Now it is true, he said, you have not because you ask not, and it's not wrong to ask, but I'm just saying, I've cut to a place where, man, I just want to love God and tell him how much I love him and bless him. And then when I bless him, he blesses me and the love and the joy of the Lord flows. And it's just like that little kid. I don't have to confess, God, I believe you're giving me $53 million. I'm doing what he told me to do and I expect him to pay for it. Amen. I don't have the money to pay for it. It's his idea. And so he's going to do it. And I just rest in it. And it's, it's easy. It's been decades since I've asked God for money, for things. I just love God. And I'm telling you that it's a better way. I've been on the other side. I've been where some of you are to where, man, you just have to pray. And you, if you can't get God to do it, then you go and get the prayer chain. And you get other people to put more pressure on him. And you just keep twisting his arm until, bless God, we're going we're gonna to squeeze God until whatever I need comes out. And there's a better way. And that's just to let the love of God flow. And as love flows, your faith works by love. And you'll find out that it's just so easy to believe God and there's nothing to it. It's a better way. And it all begins with letting Him love you and understanding that He's pleased with you, not based on you. You've got a new identity that most of you don't know. You know, if I was to call you on the phone and if we said, I'm going to be here and you're going to come and I, well, how will I know who you are? Most of you could describe yourself. You're either a man or a woman. You could tell me if you're short or tall or, or if you're wide or skinny or, you know, what your hair color is like. And you could describe, you know yourself in the natural and you could describe yourself and you can describe yourself emotionally. Well, I'm a real timid person. I'm shy or I'm a real outgoing person. You can describe your flesh, your combination of your physical body and your inner personality. But you know what? If I was to ask, who are you on the inside? That's basically what I did. I said, how many of you want to please God more than anything and many raise their hand. Then I said, how many of you please God? You, you know what? You didn't know who you were in Christ. You didn't know that you please God in your spirit. You see yourself on the external. You only know yourself in the natural. And man, that's the reason that you're so condemned and, and, and it seems like you have problems. You know, most of you, this is a Friday night you come out to hear me. This is not your nod to God Sunday morning crowd. You're either a fanatic or you were drugged here by a fanatic. One of the two. You believe in the supernatural power of God or you wouldn't be here. If I was to tell you, I've seen people raised from the dead. My own son was raised from the dead after being dead for five hours. He was in a morgue, stripped naked with a toe tag on, in a freezer. And God raised him from the dead. And he's no brain damage after being dead for five hours. No more than he had before. 
And the year after this, he had a daughter, our only granddaughter. And man, it's just awesome. If I tell you about miracles, most of you believe in that. That's the reason you're here. Again, this isn't your typical religious crowd. You believe in the supernatural. If somebody was to fall over dead, and if I said, praise God, I've seen people raised from the dead. How many of you believe God can raise somebody from the dead? Most of you would raise your hand. I believe it. How many of you believe if I pray, it's going to work? Man, you'd be just right in there with me and you'd want to get up here close to where you could see it. But you know where I could lose 90 something percent of you? I could say, all right, if you believe it, you come up here and pray for them. And just think, all of a sudden, you were excited when I was talking about, can God do it? Man, you know God can do it. You might believe that I've seen people raised from the dead. And so you want to see it and you want to be a witness to it. But then I say, you come do it. And all of a sudden, your faith turns to fear. Your excitement turns to dread. What happened? Did God change? What I did was interject you into it. You don't doubt God's ability. What you doubt is God's willingness to use His ability on your behalf because you relate to God on your performance. You think He deals with you based on your actions instead of in the Spirit. You aren't accessing Him in spirit and in truth. You're in the flesh. And that's the reason that all of a sudden you know God can do it. You believe He'll do it through me, but you aren't sure He'll do it through you. You know why? You know why you have more confidence in my prayers than you have in your prayers? Because you know you better than you know me. If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. God's never had anybody qualified working for him yet. I don't deserve the power of God. I've seen three people raised from the dead, maybe four. I'm not sure. My wife may have died this last September and I raised her from the dead. But if she wasn't dead, she was really close to it. But we've had three and a half people raised from the dead or whatever. (laughs) And you know what? I don't deserve a bit of it. I don't deserve any of it. God's never used me because I deserve it. I have to access God in spirit and in truth. And this is the victory. When you understand your new identity. When you quit letting your limitations and your failures limit God. This is one reason that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26, you see your calling brethren that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world and base things of the world and things that are despised and things that are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. One of the reasons God uses hicks from Texas and puts them in ministry is because Hicks from Texas know that it's got to be God. We can't trust in ourselves, And it's only when you get to the end of yourself that you find the beginning of God. God's not against people that have it together. God's not against people that are well-educated and they're good speakers and good-looking and everything else. God's not against any of you. But the problem is, if He chose some of you that had it all together, you would say, oh God, I can see the wisdom in you choosing me. 
What a great choice. Oh, I, I, man, I am your man. Praise God. You get me on the stage and I can handle it from here. Man, God doesn't want to use you. But man, I was an introvert. I couldn't even look at a person in the face and talk to them. When I was a senior in high school, a person would say hi to me and they'd be two blocks down the street before I could say hi back. I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. I just, this is impossible what I'm doing. Speaking to millions and millions of people on television, it was impossible. And so God takes somebody and asks them to do what they can't do. And it makes you say, God, I can't do it. And you have to go beyond yourself and you have to depend upon God to do it instead of depending upon your flesh. It makes me get out of myself. I'm doing things that I can't do. And it makes me, I had to find my new identity in myself. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. If I wasn't, if I was God, I wouldn't have chosen me to do what I'm doing. But you know what? It made me go beyond myself and find out that I'm a new person in Christ Jesus. And in my flesh, I can't do anything. But in Christ, I can do all things. I can see the dead raised. I can see blind eyes open because of who I am in Christ. And when the devil comes and criticizes me and you didn't fast, you didn't pray. You know what? I got sleepy and I took a nap this afternoon. Some people think, well, you should have been praying. Did you know I haven't prayed for this meeting yet? And I have people come to me all the time. Who are your intercessors? Who intercedes and who prays for you? And I say, nobody. And people just shocked. You mean you hadn't been fasting and praying for this meeting? No, I hadn't even thought about it much, to tell you the truth. And so, I can't, well, how are you going to get God to move? I, I'm just doing what God told me to do. And I figured that if he told me to do this, God wants to bless you more than I want to bless you. I don't need to plead with God. All I got to do is get out of the way and let God move. Amen. You don't have to beg God to come. I go into some churches and they get me into a back room and they start praying and, oh God, come anoint Andrew. And I usually don't say anything because I'm so polite and kind and stuff. But I'm always thinking, man, if you didn't think I was anointed, why did you, anoint, why did you ask me to come? You think I'm going to get it in the next five minutes? Man, the Bible says, he that hath anointed you is God. When God calls you to do something, he anoints you. He would be totally unjust to ask me to stand in front of people and minister when in myself, I'm an introvert. He would be unjust to ask me to do something I can't do and then let me do it on my own. There's always supernatural ability. In my spirit, I can do all things through Christ, through my spirit. And you don't have to beg God to anoint you. It's like Jesus in, Mark, in uh, Luke chapter four, when he was in his hometown, he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He didn't come and get with the elders and pray and ask God to anoint him. He stood up and proclaimed, I am anointed. You are already anointed. Everything you're begging God for, you've already got in your spirit. Many of you are asking God to heal you. And yet the Bible says in Ephesians chapter one, verses 18 and 19, that you already have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. You don't need God to heal you. What you got to do is release what God has already done. And just thinking, Father, thank you that I've got it. Take your authority and command it and speak and Satan will flee from you.
But see, we don't, we aren't approaching God like this. We're approaching God in our flesh and because our flesh isn't perfect because you got this problem, that problem, and then you've searched your soul and your soul isn't right. You come before God and you doubt that God's will use his ability on your behalf because you know that you don't deserve it. Your own heart condemns you. You've got to establish a new identity and recognize that in Christ Jesus, you're perfect. And you aren't perfect until the next time you're sin, you're forgiven of all sins, past, present, and even the ones you haven't committed. Your spirit never fluctuates. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sin can't penetrate the seal. Your flesh can be defiled. Your body can be sick. Your emotions can be depressed if you yield yourself to sin. But your spirit retains its righteousness and holiness. And God sees you in the spirit. And God is pleased with you. God loves you. The whole time you're living in a mess. The whole time you're ruining your life. And you're going around depressed and sucking your thumb. Did you know your spirit has love, joy, and peace in it the whole time? And it's just a matter of, are you going to live in the flesh? Are you going to go by how you feel and what you see in the mirror and all of these things? Are you going to find out who you are in Christ and begin to worship God in spirit and in truth? Man, if you'll do that, it'll be awesome. Instead of coming in and confessing all of your sins, come in and confess that, Father, thank you that you love me in spite of all my sins. Thank you that I'm a new creature and begin to worship him. I heard a preacher one time saying, if you feel like a flea on the back of an elephant, instead of talking to God about how insignificant and how sorry you are, talk to him about how big he is, that he would love somebody like you. Instead of coming in and, oh God, I failed again, you ought to come in and recognize that in the spirit, I am created in righteousness and true holiness. God is seeing me in the spirit. And God, you're so awesome that you set it up this way that you could love me and fellowship with me even though I'm a mess. Even though I got so many problems. And if you were to approach God that way in spirit and in truth, God would start releasing this pleasure, his love. You would know that God is pleased with you by faith And man, once you tap into this and start feeling the love, and and I'm not talking about just feeling physically, but in your spiritual man, you can perceive the presence and the joy and the acceptance of God. Once you get that, man, you'll give up everything. There are some of you that are trying to break addictions, alcohol addictions, drug addictions, sex addictions, and all kinds of things. If you were to just approach God in spirit, if you're truly born again, just come before him and start worshiping. Even though you've got pornography in your life, even though you've got drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, if you've been born again, come before God in spirit and go to worshiping him and let his love and his acceptance and his joy and peace flow through you and you'll become addicted to that. And you'll gladly throw down this other thing over there. You'll gladly get rid of that. The only reason you are addicted to these things is because you've got a void and you're trying to fill it and you're filling it with the wrong things. You get filled with the love of God and I guarantee you, who wants any of this other stuff? Who needs anything else? Going back to John chapter 16, this is the only sin that the Holy Spirit convicts over is the sin of not believing on Jesus. 
And when he'll tell you about, you know, being an alcoholic, it's not that God's mad at you if you're an alcoholic. I was talking to a man just yesterday who was at our Bible college, and this guy was a policeman and did some things. I don't know what happened, but he got disbarred or kicked out of being a policeman. He lost his family. He lost everything, and the guy turned to alcohol, and he's an alcoholic now. But the guy loved God. You could tell he loved God. And he'd been sober for 21 days. He had been through a rehab thing. And uh, he really loved God, but he was struggling. How can I get rid of this? And you know what? He had a pain in his life that he tried to get momentary relief by getting drunk and numbing these feelings and emotions. The way the Holy Spirit will convict him about that is to come in and he won't say, you're a drunk, you're an alcoholic. If you don't quit this, I won't bless you. I won't love you. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's religion. But the Holy Spirit will come and say, look, God loves you. Man, God loves you. And the only reason that you are turning to this alcohol is because you aren't trusting in Jesus. Jesus wants to fill that void. Jesus wants to show you that he still loves you and that your life still has purpose and meaning. And you don't have to escape and try and drown it. And it would be an uplifting. It would be a positive ministry of the Holy Spirit. I've got a book out there, teaching series on this, the positive ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will always reprove you in a way that uplifts you. And it'll always be about just trusting in Jesus. Why do you take dope? Man, dope is expensive. It costs you a lot of money. You can get all kinds of diseases, sharing needles and doing things. You can kill yourself or kill somebody else. You can lose your job. You lose respect. Why would anybody do that? There's a reason they call that stuff dope. Why would anybody do that? You know why? The Lord will say, it's because you aren't trusting in me. I'll be to you. I can help you. I can numb you to whatever pain. I can make you have joy and peace in your life. The Lord never does it in a condemning way. He'll always do it in a way that lifts you up that I love you and I want to show you my joy and peace. But you've got to understand that it's not based on this outward performance. It's who you are in Christ that made you accepted. It's Jesus. It's trusting in Him. You are accepted in the beloved. And if you're born again, then you ought to let God love you. You ought to let this happen. You're going to have to sit down and overcome your religious training and you're going to have to specifically do things to renew your mind. You know, when I first saw these things, I could talk forever on this. I'm going to have to bring it to a close. But when I first saw this, I saw it intellectually, but I could not do this because it was just ground into me that I'm unrighteous, I'm unholy. God could, I would never say that God is pleased with me because man, that would be, that's just uh, heresy. And I could see it in the Word, but I just couldn't embrace it. And you know what I had to do? I did a lot of things, but one of the things, I went and looked in a mirror and I started quoting scriptures. And I would point my finger and look at myself eyeball to eyeball and say, you were created righteous and truly holy. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As Jesus is, you are. And I would point to myself and preach to myself. And the first few times I said that, all the hair on the back of my neck just stood up like, God, don't kill me. Don't strike me dead. I'm trying to say what the Bible says. But boy, it just, I was so afraid this was so out of my comfort zone. 
and I had to convince myself that God loved me. And yet, if you would have asked me, I, would, I grew up in the church. I got born again when I was eight years old. I would have said, oh yeah, God loves me. But what I meant by that was he loved me enough that I got saved and when I died, I'd go to heaven and then it would be good. But right now, boy, God would just went around ticked off most of the time at me because I wasn't the person I was supposed to be. I never did enough. I wasn't pleased with myself and I knew God couldn't be pleased with me. So when I said God loved me, I didn't, Man, I wouldn't want anybody else to love me the way I thought God loved me. And when I started talking about the things that I've talked about and that I'm pleasing to him, that he's pleased with me, I'm accepted, that he delights in me, he rejoices over me, he joys over me with singing, angels are dancing over me. I wouldn't have ever said those things. I had to start speaking them out my mouth and start ministering the word to myself. You know, I had a woman that last night saw an angel standing up behind me. I didn't see it. I've never seen an angel, but I know it's true. The Bible says that I've got angels round about me. I even know two of my angels' names. Amen. Psalms chapter 23 says that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I even might know a third angel's name. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. So I don't know. I I believe they're here. I've got angels around about me. I've got joy. God's rejoicing over me tonight. And some of you are thinking, ah, you just think too much of yourself. I don't like the way you look. I don't like the way you talk. I don't. And you're looking at my outside and see, you can find things wrong with me. I can find things wrong with me, but boy, if you could see me on the inside, I'm as perfect and holy and pure as Jesus is because I'm his workmanship. I'm a new creature and God loves me. When I walk into the throne room, nobody would stand in my way and stand between me and God. If an angel stood between me, I could curse him. That's what Paul said. If anybody, even an angel preaches something else unto you, let them be accursed. God would no more stop me from fellowshipping with him and loving him than he would stop Jesus. Because in my spirit, I have been recreated and I'm a new creature and it's the spirit of his son and I'm righteous and holy and pure. And because of that, brothers and sisters, there's times that I just get overwhelmed with how much God loves me. There's times that I can't hardly stand it. It's like, God, I can't continue to receive revelation of this and still stay alive. I believe this is why the Bible says that no man can see God and live. It's not because God, if you see him, if you peek at him and see him, he's going to kill you, bless God. That's not what it is. But it's that if you were to really see God, you couldn't handle it in this physical body. You'd explode. We can't contain it. And there's times that I feel like, God, I can't, I can't stay alive in this body if I continue to feel your love and your joy and your peace. You know, if you haven't experienced that, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just trying to draw you to a place that this is what God wants. It's faith that pleases God. And you need to be like Enoch and start going around and telling people, I please God. You can tell real quick whether they are religious or whether they have a relationship with God. That one thing will separate it in a hurry. 
Just go up to somebody and say, man, I please God. (laughs) But Enoch got translated because he was willing to say it. He told people that he pleased God. And you know what? Enoch didn't even have the things that we've got. He didn't have this new birth and a recreated spirit. For him to say this, man, this guy was into faith. Nobody's ever pleased God based on their own performance. He was operating in faith. He was going through a savior. The savior hadn't come at that time. They had sacrificial system, but he saw it in the future is what it says about Abraham. He saw this and he embraced it. And this man went around telling people that he pleased God. Man, if an Old Testament man could do that, every one of us, every person in here should have raised your hand that I please God. And yet not that many did. Man, I pray that tonight you'll change your way of thinking, that you'll start relating to God spirit to spirit instead of flesh to our God who is a spirit. And if you do that, man, God's love and joy and peace and acceptance will flow through you to change your life. And once you ever experience this love, I guarantee you it will revolutionize you. You'll give up bubblegum if you thought it pleased God. You'll give up anything. You get addicted to loving God. He's awesome. I wish I could just somehow or another open your brain and make you understand what I'm saying. I'm dependent upon the Holy Spirit to confirm this and to draw you to this. And I know some of you still struggle like, well, man, I can see it, but how do I get from where I am to there? The first thing you got to do is you got to humble yourself and quit trusting in yourself and quit looking at yourself. You know, some of you may have a hard time understanding this, but it's actually pride. And some of you are like, oh man, I don't have pride. I, I, I think I've got the lowest self-esteem of anybody. That is super proud. <laughs> if you have low self-esteem, you are a very proud person. Pride isn't just arrogance. Pride is self-centeredness. And if you are focused on yourself instead of what Jesus did for you, you are a very self-centered, prideful person. And you need to humble yourself and get away from approaching God based only on your own goodness. And you ought to get into Christ Jesus and start standing. It takes a humble person to say, I please God. It takes a humble person to say, I can raise the dead because Jesus gave that power and authority to me. It takes a prideful person to say, well, man, I couldn't do that. God wouldn't do that through me because I'm not very good. You are in pride. You are in yourself. You are looking at yourself. It takes humility to worship God in spirit and in truth. But man, it is well worth the effort. It is well worth the effort. You know, there's a couple of things here tonight that I have talked all round about. And I want to make sure that if there's any person here that has never made Jesus their Lord and been born again... You need to be born again. And I've talked about this, that if you are going to stand before God based in your own goodness, then you will go to hell. Even if you're a better sinner than I am, who wants to be the best sinner that ever got sent to hell? All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You cannot trust in yourself. And in this culture, in America, we have millions of people that go to church 
And they think that God is going to accept them based on their goodness. And if their goodness outweighs their badness, then they will be accepted. That is not true. If you have done one thing wrong, James chapter 2 verse 10 says, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. If you've never done any of these terrible things, but if you've sinned in the slightest way, you've become guilty of all. You're guilty of homosexuality, murder, lying, stealing, adultery. All of us, nobody is worthy. And if you are trying to come before God in yourself, you will be rejected. You need to humble yourself and receive a savior and make Jesus your Lord. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Jesus has already paid for all of your sins. It's not about whether you can quit this sin and whether you can overcome this. It's just, will you receive salvation as a gift? Will you receive a savior? And if you'll do that, then just like I've been talking about, you become a brand new person in Christ Jesus and God is a spirit and he will relate to you based on this new person and God will instantly be pleased with you even though you've had a life that may have been totally wrong. He'll be pleased with you because of Jesus. And then once you get born again, Jesus told his disciples, even though they had confessed him as Lord, that he was raised from the dead, he told them to tarry until they would receive power from on high. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues. And so you must be born again. You must have a change and have your nature changed. But then after you get born again, you must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Now, I know that there's a large portion of the body of Christ that does not believe you have to speak in tongues. I don't believe you have to speak in tongues. I believe you get to speak in tongues. It's a privilege. It's an honor. Somebody says, are you saying that you'll go, you won't go to heaven if you don't speak in tongues? No, that's not what I'm saying. You'll, if you're born again, you will still go to heaven even if you don't receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, you could get there quicker. <laughs> because you aren't going to have any power. You won't be able to overcome sickness and disease. You're going to die. Satan's going to kill you along the way, but you can still go to heaven. But if you want the, you know, it says in Romans chapter five, verse five, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, boy, this love of God that I've been talking about tonight begins to just flood through your life. This is what happened to me in 1968. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I mean, I got caught up in the presence of God for four and a half months. I was gone someplace and God just loved me. And it was because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. When you speak in tongues, it's powerful. I hadn't got time to explain it completely, but it's my testimony that when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it totally revolutionized, transformed my life. I've never been the same and I'm never going to be the same. I know that there's some of you came to this meeting tonight and you didn't realize I was a tongue talker <laughs> because I'm not like the other people on TV that shout and scream and have a handkerchief and wipe the sweat off my brow. And I don't, I'm not Pentecostal looking. So some of you came here under false pretenses. You didn't realize what you were getting into. 
But I tell you, I speak in tongues. I've spoken in tongues today. I speak in tongues all of the time. It's, it's not necessary for you to go to heaven, but it's necessary for you to start walking in what I've talked about tonight. The love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. Somebody says, well, I think you can have the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues. Well, absolutely. I'm not speaking in tongues right now, and I've got the Holy Spirit. Of course, you don't have to speak in tongues, but you get to speak in tongues. And in the Bible, when you spoke in tongues, the Bible says you build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourself in the love of God. Speaking in tongues will keep you in the love of God. It will cause the love of God to flow through you. Anyway, I could talk on this forever, but every person in here needs those two things. You must be born again. You must quit trusting in yourself and you must have a Savior and be born again. And you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues. Is there anybody in here tonight who would say, I don't have one or both of those and I'd like to receive and have you pray for me? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so I can see and I'm going to pray for you and we're going to see people's lives change. Praise God. Man, there's a lot of people raising their hands. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.